1: by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash Somewhere Skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. Today on the show, Alien Con invades Somewhere in the Skies.
2: This is Somewhere in the Skies with
0: Ryan spread.
1: Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague, and today is a very special post-AlienCon episode. AlienCon ran November 9th through the 11th in Baltimore, Maryland. And it was a huge success for this convention's first East Coast outing. From what I'm told, the numbers far exceeded their expectations. So much so that they've already announced their next stop in Los Angeles, California, In mid-June of 2019, it was a fun, insightful, and busy weekend full of panels, lectures, special events, and of course, ancient aliens, which is the main focus of this convention. And no matter your thoughts on the ancient alien theory, the convention has opened the doors to the UFO research community like never before. Hard hitters like Richard Dolan, Alejandro Rojas, Jason McClellan, Stephen Bassett, Linda Moulton-Howe, Nick Pope, and many others were there all week, providing insight on their latest research. Popular experiencer and lecturer Travis Walton was also in attendance. And so, so many contributors to the Ancient Aliens TV show that I can't even keep track. You'll hear from one of them in a little while. While I was there to give talks, moderate panels, and spread the word about someone in the Skies, I was also there to meet new people and hear their stories. So for any new listeners who may have been at AlienCon, thank you for joining us, and thank you for your support. Jason McClellan and I were in full force representing our company, Rogue Planet. We recorded a live podcast recording with an audience, and you'll hear that entire episode in the very near future. We also gave a talk on UFOs in pop culture, and I personally facilitated an experiencer session where people shared their UFO and contact encounters. I was told it was one of the highest attended events outside of the main hall. If you're listening, thank you to everyone who shared their stories that day. But today, I have probably the most epic list of guests you could possibly imagine joining me from AlienCon. When I had a few moments free, I was able to hop on with many of the guests to record brief interviews all about their time there, what they'd be talking about, and what comes next in terms of UFOs, aliens, and their personal research. I have to thank all of them for taking the time to do this in such a crazy atmosphere. And just a warning, the audio is going to be a little different for a bunch of these because I literally used whatever I had on hand at the moment. But rest assured, it's worth it. So, first up, I had the amazing opportunity to hear from loyal listener and attendee Patrick about his experiences at his first ever AlienCon and UFO-themed convention. All right, so we are here at AlienCon Baltimore 2018, and it is insane. It is Saturday, the second day of the event, and we didn't even have time to do any interviews yesterday. But today, we are going to be bringing you a lot of content. And first and foremost, we have one of our loyal listeners and Baltimore AlienCon attendees, Patrick, with us. Patrick, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, good. So we have connected through social networks, We've been chatting for months and months and months now about UFOs and cryptids and everything. And correct me if I'm wrong, you connected with me through Shannon
3: LeGreau of Into the Fray, right? Yes, um, I did, indeed, uh, the show uh, Into the Fray. And I loved it. And I heard about you and Sam and everything, so I follow you guys. And then you did uh, your show's uh, Summer in the Skies. and
1: Right. So... You found me through another show, which is kind of how these things work. We have interests, you know, I'm a UFO guy, someone else is a cryptid guy, someone's this, that. What really uh, brought you into the world of UFOs and got you to actually come to an alien con?
3: Um, I've always been fascinated by the paranormal. uh, UFOs, Bigfoot, um, ghosts, everything. I love mystery. I love the idea that there's something more out there and uh, i 've always been into it, and since uh, the internet and podcast came along, um, you know there 's more outlets to, to listen to what I love you know mm-hmm. and uh, i've I become obsessed now with Bigfoot, uh, but uh, I do love UFOs and the idea that is there's something out there and
1: okay, so I have to ask you this question on the spot: A lot of people have been talking recently that all these things could be connected ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot. Do you put any stock into that whole theory that all these things could be somehow intrinsically linked, or are they completely separate
3: in your opinion? well, I guess it 's life. everything is linked in life somehow, but um, i don 't think so uh, there 's theories there 's uh, experiences out there of Bigfoot and UFOs and all that it 's certainly uh, worth to look into it, but um, i don 't feel it's so it 's connected it could be I mean who knows I mean who knows that 's kind of the
1: basis of our whole <laughs> our whole existence here so. This is the second day. I know um, you've attended some events so far. We've gone to a few panels ourselves. What so far has been your most memorable experience here at AlienCon?
3: Was it a talk? Was it meeting someone? What do you think? I think so far it's, it's uh, the, the Somewhere in the Skies uh, presentation because I just walked in. Uh, you just started and... I think there's people standing up and talking about their experiences. And then I realized, you know, there's, there's people here that have experiences and, and they're up there putting themselves out uh, and telling them. And it could be short, it could be long experiences, uh, but uh, it, it's a big deal for them. And it's a big deal to have this event here for people because, you know, I, I have a lot of friends. I told them I was coming. They were like kind of looking at me and laughing at me, you know. <laughs> and, but uh, it's good to see that there's, there's people interested in this and that... I'm not alone, you know, in this, you know. And it's even, even as, a, as a person who's just interested in the subject, it, it's still, people mock you, you know, and uh, say, why are you into that for, you know. It, it's an interest, it's a curiosity, and if you're curious about life, you've got to be curious about this, you know. I couldn't
1: put it better myself. There's people here in all walks of life and all different belief systems, but they have this one thing in common, it's to find... Answers: Is there life out there in the universe? I have to thank you for saying somewhere in the skies. Your check is in the mail for that. Anything else? Uh, what else exciting have you done here?
3: Uh, well, I got to see Michael Dorn. I'm going to hopefully get an autograph for him. But I'm a big Star Trek fan, and uh, it's it's great to have access to him and to hear his point of view about life, uh, his work on Star Trek and all that. Because so, Star Trek is a big influence to me. And uh, the good thing about Star Trek is... Uh, it, it makes you use your imagination about what's out there. What's the possibilities, you know? And I think that's connected to UFOs because, uh, you know, when you see a UFO, or hear about UFOs, you think what's out there, what other alien ex- civilizations are there. So I love the connection of Star Trek and UFOs and all that. Yeah. It's a very interesting mix
1: at this convention of actual legitimate UFO research and science fiction. Yeah. And the two always seem to be connected somehow, influence one another, yeah. uh, which Jason and I are going to be talking about, uh, at our UFOs and pop culture talk. Uh So are there any sort of... Alien themed TV shows or movies besides Star Trek that really resonate with you that could give us some uh, some
3: information about the actual UFO phenomenon. I, I can't think of any offhand, uh, but again, I, g- I go back to Star Trek. Uh, it-, it just sparks the imagination. Yeah. So it yeah. is.
1: It is the preeminent show that what could happen and what could be. I always love that about Star Trek. I was a Star Wars guy, yeah. so so we'll you have to have both. that debate.
3: <laughs> you can be both.
1: That's true. Why does there have to be black? Uh, I agree.
3: So, just a one observation: um, th- there's all kinds of people here, and yesterday, especially, uh, there's like a lot of older people, more 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 than average. Then you know, so it's not just young people coming in dressing up; it's all walks of life coming here, and uh, I-, I found that very impressive. Yes. Absolutely, that's a really good point. You see a diversity here, unlike
1: any other sort of UFO convention or paranormal convention you see, and I think it's the one thing that can sort of bring everyone together. Yeah. You know, our country seems to be divided right now in many ways, but. You come here, and that's all brushed aside for at least three days.
3: And I think people are coming here looking to, for, for the idea that there's another planet they, they can escape to at the moment, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think people just want to get off now with all the, the craziness going on, you, know, and just, you know.
1: Could it be a rogue planet? It could be. You like that one? Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> Patrick, thank you so much for joining us on Unknown and Somewhere in the Skies. And we hope you have a good time the rest of the convention.
3: I, I will, and I know I will. Yeah, thanks. It was such a pleasure meeting
1: Patrick, hearing about what compelled him to attend, and just the pure excitement he had, gaining insight on the mysteries presented at the event. Thanks to Patrick, and remember, live long and prosper, my friend. Next up was Karen Bird and Alejandro Rojas of Open Minds, and co-partners and owners of the International UFO Congress. They were super busy throughout the week, introducing alien con attendees to their endeavors, and they had some of the most amazing merchandise I've ever seen on sale. They had this anti-gravity flying saucer that was spinning and was actually blasting rock music, Muse to be specific. I have no idea how it worked, but it was awesome. But I digress. Let's hear about their experiences at AlienCon and about some of the talks and panels Alejandro took part in throughout the weekend. I am here with Karen, the head of the International UFO Congress. Karen, how is AlienCon going?
4: I'm having a great time. The energy is really great. A lot of people here. Yesterday had a big crowd, but today its I think it's twice as big. Um, everybody's very friendly. Um, they're very interested. I, I ask everybody if this is their first time to a UFO or alien uh, conference, and about 75% of them saying yes, it is, and they're very excited. So it's a really good thing to get people more into this field by having it on mainstream television, and people feel more comfortable coming to something like that, and uh, hopefully they'll get interested enough to try some other conferences and get more into the subject. So,
1: Absolutely. And I mean, we just met a guy who was like 13 years old here, uh-huh. came up to Jason McClellan and said, I love your work. So that, that to me proves that there is a younger generation interested in this topic. Are you seeing like an influx of younger people getting involved in UFO research or even just coming to AlienCon? What do you make of that whole thing?
0: Um,
4: I would say maybe not so much in research, um, but in just an in interest. Um, yes, they are very interested. Uh, they get a lot of their information online, as opposed to you know how we do. So they might not be as, at conferences as much if they have to travel or something like that. But um, local conferences, they really have been coming out, like the other Alien Con in Pasadena. Yes, young people are very excited about it, and uh, they like the whole fun idea about it too, similar to a Comic Con or something like that. So um, they really love the energy and getting out amongst. You know, fellow fellow alien interest people, right.
1: and I mean, your booth here is apparent that like this is mainstream. People love this stuff. Yeah. You have endless amounts of alien merchandise here. Yeah. Um, is there? Can we find this stuff? Online Is this available just to AlienCon, or how does that work?
4: Well, AlienCon um, has its own website, and they sell products. We sell our own products on uh, ufocongress.com. And um, you can get our T-shirts, our hoodies, our beanies, um, our drawstring bags, jewelry. We have a lot of different things. And um, so you can get it online. We just sold out of about 100 uh, stocking caps with aliens on it, so we'll be getting some more of those if they want to go online and find that. So, yeah, we've really been selling a lot, and people are... Are really excited to buy some things and buying gifts for their friends and family.
1: And not only that, I mean, you're getting the word out about the UFO Congress at another big event. So I have to ask you, I know it was recently announced when and where the UFO Congress is going to be next year. So is there any info you can give us on that right now?
4: Um, Just that it is next September, September 4th through 8th, downtown Phoenix in Sheraton. Um, You can go go there on our website, ufocongress.com, find the link, and you can reserve your room now. And uh, other than that, about in about a month, we'll be able to buy tickets and find out all the prices for the tickets. So about a month. And also, if you uh, would like to be a vendor and to sell things, you can also find that out in about a month on our website.
1: Awesome. I'm so excited. I hope to be there, even if I'm backstage, you right. know, volunteering. Yeah. I love, love the that. event. And this has been great. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you so much.
1: So Alejandro, tell us what you've done so far here at AlienCon,
5: what you got coming up. All of it, you are a busy man. Yeah, so the first day on Friday, I had a couple talks. Uh, the first one was ETs and celebrities, the second one was astronomers and UFOs. And then today, I was with uh, Jason, your, your our buddy, uh, on a panel with Richard Dolan and Stephen Bassett about post disclosure. And then tomorrow, I have a talk on Spielberg, so which is a lot of fun. It's called Spielberg Ufologist, it's about the cases, the really cool, real cases that inspired a lot of his movies.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. We're going to be doing a panel on UFOs and pop culture, which bleeds a lot into what you're doing. Mm-hmm. We have Project Blue Book, the new History Channel show here yeah. as well. So it's really cool to see Heinick, Blue Book, all these things that we know a lot about getting out to the mainstream. So I have to ask you, what is your perception of AlienCon, what it's done to get
5: this topic out there? What, what are your thoughts on all that? I, I really love... I, first of all, i love to see the big History Channel presence because I'm very excited about the Project Blue Book. I've been wearing my Ryan Sprague Heineck t-shirt. It's my favorite new t-shirt. I love it. Thanks but- for the plug. Uh, So I'm excited about uh, awareness coming to the show because I think that show is going to bring awareness that the U.S. Air Force really did real UFO investigations and that people like Hynek and others involved with the project, you know, did not come to the same conclusion that the mystery was uh, nothing to be paid attention to. So when it comes to AlienCon, though, uh, I think it's great that it brings awareness. I I mean, some people have gotten upset with me for speaking, why are you doing AlienCon? You know, it's ancient aliens. But... I love it when we have a crowd full of people and I've had this experience several times this year and last year and you remember this. We were on a panel together and I asked how many of you were aware of the New York Times article and very few people raised their hand. So at least then we're able to educate them about all of these other things that they're not aware of. In fact, Steve Bassett asked at the beginning of this panel we were in that was packed, how many of you have been to an AlienCon or, or convention before and Almost everybody raised their hand. So it just shows you how much awareness, you know, this is all bringing out to the public, which I think is a very good thing.
1: Absolutely. That was one of the best panels I've seen today on a post-disclosure world. Some amazing questions and very insightful questions as well. You know, Q&As can be deadly. We both know that. But uh, that was an amazing presentation. I can't
5: wait to see what you're doing tomorrow. And we have the UFO Congress coming when? September. So yeah, everybody go to ufocongress.com and you can see more information. And we'll be getting a lot more information out in the coming weeks, but extremely excited about it. It's going to be downtown near the convention center in Phoenix. And the lineup that we're going to have is I think people are really going to enjoy. It's something unique and different. And uh, we're living in, I feel, for this topic, really incredible times.
1: I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time, Alejandro. Thank you. It was so cool hearing Alejandro's talk on Steven Spielberg and also his contributions to a panel discussion featuring Steven Bassett, Richard Dolan, and Jason McClellan. I was able to get a little raw audio from that discussion. This starts after a question about the recent activity involving the Oumuamua object that recently entered and left our solar system and how it could tie in to some sort of disclosure Of alien life.
6: Yeah, I'm interested in that asteroid or that object as much as probably anybody else, and I think that my expertise is about as much as anybody else's as as well. I mean, you have um, one very prominent astrophysicist who said, this looks artificial, and that's quite significant. Um, Then you have an entire community of uh, astronomers and other colleagues who say, no, it's not at all, that's crazy talk. So, I don't know, I think it's interesting. As anyone who's looked at this asteroid, it's very physically interesting. It doesn't seem to look like an asteroid. So, my approach as a complete layperson in this area is to say, maybe. And that's about the best I can say. I wouldn't consider it disclosure um, in any other genuine sense, uh, unless, with this proviso, if there are other scientists who really have some expertise in this, and are willing to put themselves out on the line in a public discourse and actually have it out and just say, no, I agree with this other individual and there's at least reason to conclude that it, it's artificial, but um, that's the, the most I could say. I do think that we're moving, um, this is just segueing, but I think our civilization, our society is moving at a faster and faster pace in terms of disclosure. And when I, I wrote a book after disclosure eight years ago now, and at that point, history was moving even then a lot slower, it seemed to me. Things are just speeding up. And uh, I would not be surprised if something is forced in terms of a truly open admission of some sort. Doesn't mean it'll be truthful, but it does mean that the subject will be at least somewhat out on the table for a public dis- discussion, and that's a good
5: start. Go ahead, Alejandro. Yeah, I wanted to comment, it's called Oumuamua, so you're pretty close. But uh, what's interesting about it is the idea that it could be extraterrestrial was uh, offered by a Harvard scientist in a paper that's coming out on the 16th. And that's what I think is really significant is that there's kind of this trend where these guys aren't afraid to uh like i think say pull a Giorgio and say it, it might be aliens and uh we see this in this instance and there's another situation it's called tabby star where they've seen this star that's dimming uh in a strange pattern and again in a scientific paper the scientists themselves who did the analysis offered up this could be due to extraterrestrial technology so it, it's kind of, I don't know if it's Giorgio having influence or, you know, all of us uh, in our work having influence. But luckily scientists are willing to go there. And I would say also that, you know, scientists these days are coming out of college are pretty young. But the younger people by far, when you look at the statistics, are open to this idea. Uh, it's not a big deal. Not like older people where, you know, they're a little bit more hesitant to even talk about the topic.
1: Jason McClellan was then asked about his thoughts on how younger people would react to the indisputable announcement of alien life. His response was rather interesting.
7: I have a question. I'm going to interject. I have one for Jason. Look, Jason, you've got podcasts, you've got blogs, YouTube, and a direct pipeline into the geek world. So my question is this. Amongst the millennials... What are you getting from them in terms of how they think about disclosure or what they think might be coming and and so forth? Well, we talk to a lot of people at events UFO events, but also
6: pop culture events like comic-con and More and more and it always surprises me
8: How like Alejandro mentioned the, the the view of the younger audience is one of? Duh Like it's
6: already accepted. It's it's in their minds already that yes, intelligent extraterrestrials exist. Yeah, they're probably here. Why are we talking about it? Move on. It's not a question of if or you know does does that actually exist. They assume that and don't see it as a as a topic of conversation that we need to have.
7: So you think that the president were announced, say, a month from now or two months from now, that yes, there's extraterrestrials here, they would go, yeah, I knew that, and just go about their business, or would they get really excited?
6: They'd get excited for two weeks, they'd give a nice thumbs up on Facebook, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> move on.
7: Fair enough. Next question, sir.
1: The topic of disclosure is perhaps one of the most interesting sociological and philosophical hypotheticals we have within UFO discourse. And it's panels like this that really get the mind turning. What would you do in a post-disclosure world? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'll put a tweet up asking this very question, and feel free to follow at Somewhere Skies on Twitter to share your response, or also on our active Facebook group. If you're not a member, ask for an invite, and I'll let you in. Just search Facebook for Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Staying on the topic of disclosure, I sat down with Stephen Bassett, head of the Paradigm Research Group, UFO activist and lobbyist, and the organizer of the highly publicized Citizens' Hearing on Disclosure. Here's what he had to say about his talks and where we are headed in terms of the UFO question and beyond. Stephen, thank you for joining me.
7: Happy to be here. Um, This is my second AlienCon. Con. (laughs) I was at Pasadena. Yep. I missed the first one, the massive one in San Francisco, but yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and the reason I'm, I'm here is because um, after 13 years, I finally got on the show. <laughs> it was, you know, you beg long enough, and eventually Something's somebody tries to, you know, tries to help you out. Uh, but I was very proud to be on the first uh, opening uh, d- dual episode of season 13 this year, and um, and they focused on the politics a lot and disclosure. Uh, in other words, modern aliens. And uh, I, I got a substantial amount of uh, presence on that. And so that made me an alumnus, and so I get to come to AlienCon. And uh, it's... Uh, it, it, look, I, I know about Comic-Con and know how huge that is and everything else. You couldn't have done this 10, to 12 years ago, fifteen years ago, no way. The ET issue is 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 moving completely out of the UFO era and into the disclosure era or the exopolitical era. What people are interested in now is not... Are there UFOs or real or not? But rather, when's the government going to confirm it? When's yeah. it going to go We're past that. Yeah, we were into that. And, and so, whereas 40, 50 years ago, people, yeah, some researcher might get a group together in a basement of a library and talk about a sighting or something, and then people upstairs would think it's all pretty funny. Now we're getting together in major convention centers with 10, 15,000 people talking about disclosure, talking about the, the witnesses and what have you. This is, of course, thanks to A&E uh, and Kevin Burns and this most successful of all shows on the subject matter and History Channel as well. Uh, and then, of course, History Channel is... Uh following up uh, with another series uh, on J- J- January 8, the, the, the Project Blue Book series, backed up by Robert Zemeckis. Which is a big presence here at AlienCon as well. It is. I think the mural for it is about 100 feet long. And th- this is not happening because uh, these... I mean, guys like Zemeckis, they, they can, can do movies. They can do anything they want. I mean, they could shoot for stuff that could be $100 million, $200 million. He's not doing a, a show on, on, on J. Allen Hynek because he just felt like doing it. No. They know that something big is coming. They have a lot of contacts. They're very powerful people, very wealthy, have a lot of contacts. And they know something is coming, and they realize that, uh, boy, this would be the time to get a show out about J. Allen Heine and Project Blue Book. And uh, there's another show in the works um, on Area 51 uh, that I just heard about. I don't know if it's history. Uh, and there's a couple of others behind that. So things are approaching uh, the break point when uh, when something is going to happen that's going to force a government, could be U.S., could be another government, to make the formal announcement, which confirms it, and then it'll just go around the world. So for me, being here, I'll be in front of an audience of about 1,500, I think, uh, 3 o'clock today. And... And, and getting the feedback and feeling the energy is great. Uh, it, it's, it's what keeps me going. I've been at this for 22 years, and it wasn't exactly a high-paid deal. Okay, It's, it's an, an activist thing for me. I'm an activist. So it's, I'm b- basically trying to represent the people's interest. So this is what uh, energizes me, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be here, and I'm looking forward to my next uh, maybe uh, slot on an ancient alien episode.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to see it at the UFO Congress as well, right? Uh, almost
7: certainly, yeah. uh, and I'm already slated for Contact in the Desert. And I've, I think there's already about 10. I've already got 10 conferences up listed for next year in terms of my listings. I list all the conferences yeah. on my website, yeah. uh, paradigmresearchgroup.org. Mm-hmm. I've already got 10. A couple of them are brand new. Next year could be huge. Mm-hmm. I mean huge in terms of turnout and so forth if what I think is going to happen happens. Right. Well, I
1: have to ask you. We heard recently that there are some people who are going to be speaking to congressional members now you put on the citizens hearing right. so the fact that this could be happening again that we're actually
7: getting someone in there to talk what do you make of all that well, this is there's very major developments going on behind the scenes yeah. all right. uh, your listeners need to go to to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, their website, it's easy to find, to the STARS Academy and review everything there. Uh, this is a major development. It's, it involves form, former uh, high-level intel insiders who are backed up by others inside. They've formed an organization and they've done some, they've, they've done some, um, they've released some on-camera footage. They've done some pretty powerful things. However, The political situation now is so chaotic that it it just wasn't getting the reception it needed. So they sort of slowed things down and they're just kind of slow walking it while they wait to see how things are going to resolve. And what I has been confirmed to me is that one of the key people, Luis Elizondo, has been going up on the hill for private meetings. Okay. Now they're not saying who they're meeting with and they're not really saying anything much about that. It's it's not intended to be public really. Uh, it's quiet because and, and none of the members are gonna be talking about it. But they basically they're just they you know. I try to get to meet with these members too, but I don't have the I don't have the ends that these people have. I mean these are high level career DIA, CIA people. So they're getting those meetings and um, where that's gonna lead I don't know. But it it's another sign that something is in the works. Uh, so I'm, I, if, if the political situation resolves by January, early January, I intend to go back to Washington and get back into full-time lobbying. In other words, I'm going to get up on the Hill as well. Now, I'm not going to be getting probably the access that they are. However, I do have some, some insights and some knowledge that – uh, and I need to make some contacts because eventually there's going to be a lot of people dealing with this. And uh, and I want to represent the people's interest. So I'm looking forward to that. But it all depends on the political situation yeah. now, which is, you know, is one of the most bizarre I've ever seen in my lifetime. <laughs> uh, and it needs to hopefully get, uh, you know, settled down. Things are moving fast and
1: there's no time to wait any longer. So I, I really, I respect the work
7: that you do. I'm wishing you all the best of luck. And we're, we're in there. We're in your corner. Man. And I'm wishing uh, Prometheus and uh, A&E the best of luck as well. And I, I'm thinking that this is the, uh, the uh, alien archaeological uh, equivalent of The Simpsons or <laughs> South Park. Technically, it can go on forever. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. All right.
1: Wrapping up our thread on disclosure, I also got to speak with former Ministry of Defense employee and head of their UFO investigation unit, Nick Pope. All about the recent developments with the secret Pentagon UFO program, to the Stars Academy, and Nick's role as a media consultant and journalist in the ever-expanding mainstream coverage of UFOs. Nick, thanks so much for taking the time.
9: Thank you, it's good to be here. How has AlienCon Baltimore been for you so far, man? It's full-on. It's a great mix of fascinating information and fun, too. There's There's been presentations and panels, but also the cosplay, and, and it's a great mix. It's a lot different from most UFO conferences, would you say? Absolutely. This is a hybrid, if you'll excuse the pun, between the conventional uh, UFO conference, which is organized, I guess, along the lines of a scientific or academic conference, and basically a fan convention like comic-con so what they've done is they've blended the two and they've mixed ufos with science fiction so we've got actors here from doctor who and star trek as well as the contributors to ancient aliens yeah and i
1: mean you have been running around i can't believe i got the time to actually talk to you doing so many panels and solo presentations so could you maybe tell us a little about what you've spoken about so far and what you got planned for the last day here
9: Yesterday I gave a presentation on government UFO secrecy and I went into the reasons why governments are secretive about this and I talked specifically of course about the British government, the Ministry of Defence, where I worked on this issue for many years and I talked also about the Pentagon's UFO program, ATIP Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. It's a bit of a mouthful and of course people debate whether it is advanced aerospace or advanced aviation and when when you can't even be certain what the project was called, you know that you're in some pretty spooky territory. And
1: another big thing that uh, people have been talking about at AlienCon here is your new movie, Aliens at the Pentagon. Now, I know this sort of ties into ATIP as well, so could you tell us a little about that?
9: Yes. Aliens at the Pentagon is uh, my... Take on the ATIP story, the the story of how for many years the US government said, We no longer investigate UFOs, we're not interested, and it turned out they did. So actually, this is one of these great occasions where. If the skeptics and the debunkers were saying, oh, all you people are crazy for thinking that that the government's doing this, well, turns out they were right, and the government was doing this, and indeed is. Lou Elizondo, the DIA official who ran the program, says, uh, and he's got contacts, of course, still in the system, the program is still active. So, Aliens at the Pentagon is... My kind of insider's take, having run a similar program in the UK, of how and why the US government is still. Investigating what they might have concluded, what they were working on, and how I, I contextualize it in in looking at the broader picture of governmental interest in UFOs, the threats and the opportunities, which is how government looks at this.
1: Right, and I think that word threat is extremely important in getting funding for a project such as that as well. So with your experience with working for a governmental agency in terms of UFOs, where do you see the future of To The Stars going?
9: Well, I think... To the Stars Academy have done some great work. Uh, Clearly they are pushing behind the scenes um, for things like congressional hearings. Uh, I am doing the same thing. I had the opportunity to write a piece on this for one of the UK's national daily newspapers, The Guardian, and I went on to Tucker Carlson tonight on Fox and talked about how the Senate Armed Services Committee and the House Armed Services Committee are looking at tip They are looking at the 2004 USS Nimitz incident, where, of course, we see, we've seen the, the videos of the F-18 Super Hornets and chasing the... UFOs. So all this is is going on. To the stars are involved in this. I'm doing some work with, with my media contacts and a few governmental contacts that I still have even though I'm retired, but no, not entirely. I guess never entirely. Yeah, you never, you never really leave, as they, as they say. But um, yeah, interesting times. And what we've seen with the A. Tip story uh, is, is how this subject has come out of the fringe into the mainstream. Who would have thought a year ago that we would be reading about this on the front page of the New York Times? It would be in the Post, Politico, CNN, Fox, NBC, ABC, etc. It's become more mainstream.
1: And widely accepted more than ever. So, I have to ask you what is next for you and where do you think we stand in terms of possible disclosure? I know those are very big questions
9: to ask of you, but what do you think? Well, first of all, on disclosure, I always like to say that there's a difference between disclosure with a big D and disclosure with a little D. Disclosure with a big D is this kind of, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know. My fellow Americans, people of the world, we are not alone. And and that's the kind of UFO community fantasy. I don't think that will happen. I, I think what we will see is disclosure with a little d, and one could argue that that is occurring, has occurred. I think the declassification and release of the UK government's UFO files, and I've played a part in in that both behind the scenes and as a spokesperson that's part of it the revelations about atip are also a part of that and of course there is more more to come on all of these stories i mean as to what's next for me personally i've taken a a step away from the UFO subject for my latest project, which is an action thriller called Blood Brothers. I just, uh, you know, I worked for the Ministry of Defence for 21 years. Only three of those years were actually on the UFO programme. So I did, for example, my last job was much more to do with counter-terrorism, intelligence, that, that sort of thing. So I have, as I say, taken a, a, a new step, written some fiction and blood brothers is is out i think uh, this actual coming week is the publication date and of course there is already interest in uh, film and tv rights for that because it's it's an action thriller but it'll also it's a i don't want to give too much away but it's a buddy movie too so um and, and i enjoyed stepping away from the ufo subject but of course you can never really get away from it as the old saying goes just when i thought i was out they pull me back in every so, time <laughs> absolutely so i'm i'm not uh, i'm not going to stop hey i'm ryan reynolds at Mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little working to try and uh, continue the process of of keeping this subject in the public eye I'm lucky enough to have uh, mainstream media contacts. I will use that media access to to keep this subject in the spotlight, to push for congressional hearings. We have congressional interest, but I'd like to see formal congressional hearings. And and it's 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 never a you know a cut and dried issue. It's a process. It's an ongoing process. That was
1: very inspiring, Nick. I hope that happens, and I look forward to the future of everything you're doing, and the future of this topic that we all are, you know, intrinsically linked with. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Considering AlienCon is sponsored in part by the Ancient Aliens television show, I couldn't not interview one of the most popular individuals on the show. In my personal opinion, this guy is probably the most insightful and grounded researchers to be featured in countless seasons and episodes. And that is Rami Romani. Rami is an Egyptologist, filmmaker, and just all-around nice dude to chat with. So, here's a little bit about what he talked about at his lectures, and a sneak peek at his new book, Conspired. Thank you so much for joining me, man.
8: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan.
1: To finally meet you, it's a huge honor, so I have to ask you, um... You are giving a talk today. Today is Saturday and Sunday, two different talks, one on the history of Egypt, one on mummy. So could you tell us a little bit about both of those for the people who aren't going to make it here?
8: Well, the first one is not just about the history of Egypt. It's about the biased history of Egypt. I am obsessed with archaeology and Egyptology, but in a different way. I am obsessed with the unexplained. I've studied all my life explanations that could make sense to big world mysteries in ancient Egypt and the problem is that it's the explanations that everyone comes together and agrees on with no facts and that's the problem. For me the unexplained is what matters most and I think it's a group effort by everyone that listens, by everyone that looks into it because everyone comes up with their own theory and one of them could be correct but the unexplained Is my passion and ancient Egypt has a lot of unexplained history we have so much we have so much archaeology from ancient Egypt that we have found but even though that's the case it's only 10% of ancient Egypt 90% of ancient Egypt is still under the sands of Egypt so having a lot of mysteries still unexplained is the reason I do this and it's fine if it's unexplained. 90% of ancient Egypt has not been found. It's fine if it's unexplained. And that's what I do.
1: I love them. And, and a lot of the misconceptions with the whole ancient alien theory as well is, I remember someone asked you this with, when you had like one minute left to answer at a Q and a uh, did aliens build the pyramids in Egypt? And I loved your answer. It was You're going to ask me that when I have one minute left? It's a huge contention and a misconception that ancient aliens is just about aliens came here and they built all of these amazing things that cultures get no credit for. So I have to ask you, what do you make of all these these ideas and your role that you play in bringing that to the ancient aliens theory, to that audience? What do you make of all that?
8: It's the biggest criticism I have as an Egyptologist from the scientific world, just the fact that I appear on Ancient Aliens and um, the problem with that is that I think the scientific world is just as ignorant about what they criticize as the rest of the world is they probably have never watched Ancient Aliens and just by looking at the title they probably think Ancient Aliens is all about green people coming to the, the earth coming to earth hundreds of thousands of years ago and building structures with technology for us and That is not the case. Ancient aliens is literally a place where people ask questions and have unexplained theories. And ancient aliens can sound deceiving, but the ancient Egyptian mythology with the gods and every job of every god, just the gods of ancient Egypt is the definition of ancient aliens. An alien is a being that doesn't come from this earth, whatever it is. And if people believe in gods of ancient Egypt, what is a god? A god is a being that doesn't come from this earth. So that is technically an alien. But just saying ancient aliens sounds so bad when scientifically and theoretically when you think about it, ancient Egyptian mythology is full of ancient aliens.
1: That's a really good point. Do your research, look into the history of the place, and then come to those conclusions. I love that. I love that. So your next talk is going to be about mummies. Can you give us a little cap on what that's going to be about?
8: Um, my next talk is going to be about mummies, not just because I'm obsessed with mummies. I have a mummy fetish. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that. But That's an exclusive. <laughs> but um, mummies are the one thing we actually have from ancient Egypt that is real. Everything else could be anything, but the mummies is the bodies of these ancient Egyptians. And sometimes we don't realize that mummies are a scary thing in a movie, but those mummies are human bodies. Those mummies are dead people that are still here a thousand years later. Those mummies are literally a time capsule that can tell us so much about the history of our ancestors when the technology is right. And, um, when will this air? Because I can tell you a secret.
11: Yeah, absolutely.
1: This will be uh, this upcoming
8: Monday. Oh, I can't tell you that secret then. No. But, I'll give you a hint about the secret. Keep watching for me on TV mm-hmm. for some announcement coming up and it mummies is the hint.
1: You've heard it first here, guys. Alright, so we're going to cap this off with uh, you recently came out with a book. I was so excited when I saw this coming out, Conspired. Can you tell us a little bit about this, where we can find it, and what to expect from it?
8: Conspired is a book that is also about an unexplained mystery that Strikes me as an archaeologist, I went inside a tomb in ancient Egypt that no one is allowed into. It's called KV55, and when I went inside, it was unlike any other tomb. Bare walls, no drawings, all the way inside, there's a sarcophagus with a mummy, and around the mummy, there is um, the magical blocks. Those magical blocks exist in every tomb. They are the ones that protect the mummy from the outer world, because that's where people think the mummy curse. They have inscriptions on them that says anyone that comes close to this mummy will be choked to death. But... In that tomb specifically, those magical blocks were turned inwards instead of outwards, which tells you that whoever did this wanted to not protect this mummy from the outer world, but to protect the outer world from this mummy. On the way out of the tomb, there were inscriptions on the wall by ancient Egyptian priests' language, the heretics, and it says, The evil one shall not live again. That took me on a journey to try to solve this mystery and find the unexplained. Who could this be and why did they treat him so bad? What could he have done? Uh, And that's the book. Wow. Where can we find it? You can find it at AlienCon store or Amazon.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Cheers.
1: Another really interesting individual I met and have been corresponding with for years now is Dr. David Floyd. I was so honored to hear that he has been a listener of Somewhere in the Skies since the very beginning, and has even featured some of my past articles in his classroom as a professor of English at Charleston Southern University. He gave perhaps one of the more unique talks at AlienCon, focused on the cultural history of gothic science fiction and its connections to the UFO and alien question. I have with me right now, David. David spoke recently today, right? Or was it yesterday? Yesterday you spoke. All right. Um, and we, we connected through Facebook, social network, the glory of the internet. And um, leading up to this event, we were hashing out ideas on how to attack these things. And I was so excited for your presentation. But what happens, as these things often do, my presentation was the same time as yours so I didn't get to see it so for those who didn't get to see it and for the listeners can you tell us a little about what you spoke of here at AlienCon
2: absolutely Uh, And first of all it's great to be here and finally meet you face to face because like you said we've been in touch with each other for really two years or so and uh, poor Ryan I would send these questions to him what does he think about this case (laughs) or what does this mean and that type of thing uh, because this whole world is a little new to me and um, it's my uh, talk had to do with the, the title of it was a cultural history of Gothic science fiction. And wow, it was kind of a mouthful, right? <laughs> and to, to sort of unpack that, my my area of specialization—I teach English at, at Charleston Southern University—and um, my area of specialization is 19th-century literature, mostly. Uh, stuff like proto-science fiction, gothic fiction, uh, this type of stuff. And for people that don't know what that is, it's you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, early science fiction, that type of thing. And so my focus has always been this, this sort of gothic literature and that type of thing. And I started to look into science fiction a little more and realized that science fiction sort of grew out of gothic fiction in a way that I was not even aware of. And so for the last little bit, I've been researching that. And, and that's really what my talk was, was sort of the gothic roots of what we today consider to be science fiction, uh, which, again, was a little surprising to me as a researcher uh, to discover that. But I think it, that the audience seemed to enjoy those connections that we made. And uh, I told them, you know, next time you see a science fiction film, remember this particular thing that might have come from 1818, you know.
1: No, I have to ask you. When I think of gothic, sci-fi, or fiction, um, Lovecraft comes to mind for me as well. Is that something you've looked into?
2: I, d- I did read Lovecraft quite a bit when I was in college, um, and but because he's my my focus is British literature, and he in in nineteenth century. And he, um, he was writing in, you know, 1920s or so in America. So that shows how much I know about the history. What's interesting is one of the, my favorite writers from the 19th century is Arthur Mackin, who's a little less known, but he was actually Lovecraft's favorite writer. So if you read Arthur Mackin, you can see how he influenced uh, Lovecraft that comes along 30, 40, 50 years later. Uh, so the, all these things are connected. You know, it's, it's, that's one of the fun things about researching literature and history is seeing those connections and, and sort of how cultures um, produce things that tell us a lot about them, you know? So we are at AlienCon,
1: so I have to ask you, in terms of your talk, what what do you think was the impetus for AlienCon to be like, wow, this sounds really cool. We have to include this in our in our itinerary. What is the connection you sort of made with this presentation and the whole alien question or UFO phenomenon? Are there any?
2: Right. So I will go to a lot of conferences um, having to do with literature and, and that kind of thing. And in the last few years or so, um, I went to a couple of Bigfoot conferences and I did a couple of talks having to do with stuff like, like ogres and... Um, uh, goblins or um, trolls, and these types of large humanoid type creatures, you know, and, and throughout literature and folklore and all. And, and that seemed to appeal to that audience because it was sort of bigfoot enough, you know, to sort of qualify as that type of, of creature. And I enjoyed those a lot and got to know a lot of good uh, people in that world. But I sort of, you know, I, I did some presentations and I wrote an article that was published in a magazine about it. And that was, that was about as far as I wanted to go with that. And so I started sort of looking around uh, to something else along in this sort of world to, uh, to write about and, and to discuss and, and research. And science fiction seemed the logical sort of way to go. Uh, because I do study literature and that type of thing, and so um, I found out about Alien Con and contacted them, and they seemed interested in what I had had to say and and that type of thing. So, uh, and again, the um, the audience I, you never know. If, you never know. You know, if you go if I go to a literary conference, I know who my audience is. You know, but if you go to a Bigfoot you know conference or a UFO conference, you're not quite sure who's in the audience necessarily. So I was. Pleasantly surprised at the the reaction I got from the crowd um, and the questions they got. They were really into it, and they they seemed to it seemed to resonate with them to I think make those um, sort of cultural and literary connections to something that I think we tend to think started in 1947 or so. You know, and and that there's this co- sort sort of history behind it. You know,
1: that's really interesting you bring that up. I mean, we are at a an event hosted by ancient aliens of all things and a lot of us UFO researchers we do look to 47 is the year that UFOs right. really occurred Kenneth Arnold sighting, Roswell uh, you know uh, so many others, That Thomas Mantel case where the guy died trying to pursue a UFO, that's the modern UFO era for us but then you come to an event like this and they're saying no these things have been going on for a lot longer than people think right. and they might have been influencing our history so I'm going to put you on the spot here ancient alien theory. Are you for, are you against, somewhere in the middle?
2: Uh, I tend to be very conservative in my, my belief, very orthodox in my religious beliefs. However, I would never put God in a box and assume that he only had one project going on, and why can't those two projects necessarily mingle with one another? So I'm, I'm very open to, to that. that. It doesn't compromise my religious beliefs to think that you know we could have contact with another species or whatever
1: are there any events you're looking forward to seeing at the remainder here at AlienCon baltimore i see you've got your itinerary schedule right here
2: a planner if anything um i'm looking forward to seeing uh, rich dolan speak and um got by the name of uh, jason mcclellan who will be speaking later uh, whom i will look forward to see um Hugh Newman is another guy that, whose work I just recently discovered like a week ago, um, and he studies megalithic structures and, and that type of thing. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing him speak. And, in fact, there's another one by uh, Dolan I'm looking forward to. So, so yeah, just, the, the cool thing is with a conference like this, you, you listen to people's podcasts or you see them on YouTube or you read their books. And to actually be standing next to them or in front of them, speaking to them, and finally putting a face with the name and the voice and all is, it's, uh, I'm very much a fanboy uh, when, I, when I come to something like this, you know. So, uh, so it's, that's been a great experience, you know.
1: I completely, I'm with you on that, man. When you listen to these people, see them on TV or listen to their shows, you, you always imagine what they look like, then you see them in the flesh. And it is. It's surreal. And i that actually, for me, uh, when I hear stories of UFO sightings or abduction experiences, it's the same thing. I'm like, I'm trying to picture these people. And then it's when I meet them face-to-face where the story truly comes alive for oh, me. And I think point. it's genuine and authentic. So I think there's something to be said about human contact. Right being face-to-face and having a communication with another human being. I think that's very important.
2: And I think that's one thing about your book, number one, is that it, it looks into the people and not just the phenomenon, you know, and it's it's nuts and bolts are important, but human beings and feelings are important too. And, and you tap into that in a way that I haven't seen done before that I really admire, you know. Um, and another thing, when you come to a conference like this, so many of the personalities you know in in our world or you know the the famous the rock stars or whatever are typically really approachable and and just interested in talking to you and um a nice um inviting atmosphere you know just last week i took my son to um an anime conference uh, convention in uh, columbia and, you know, it's just one of those things where there's no judgment whatsoever. You know, people are in costumes and all this type of thing. And it was just a great experience for for him particularly. Several times he looked at me and said, this is the best day of my life kind of thing. You know, and it was just great. And just as a dad, you know. But I enjoyed it too because it was just this open-minded place where you could ask questions and and just see what other people thought about things and, and also that um that was sort of the warm up to AlienCon this week and you know <laughs> to go to an anime yeah, con- fr- uh, conference. conference. as it were I know that feeling
1: I remember when my father uh, came with me to a fish concert the band fish <laughs> back in the day and that was an eye opener for him but again one of those moments he'll never forget I'll never forget and I know AlienCon Baltimore is an experience neither of us will forget either. So I got to thank you for joining us on Somewhere in the
2: Skies and Unknown today, my friend. Well, it's an honor. I've been listening for since you began. And um, it's it's an honor to, to be here. Honor's all mine. Thank you so much. Considering
1: I wrote an entire chapter in UFOs Reframing the Debate, <clears throat> shameless plug, connecting Frankenstein to the UFO phenomenon, it was amazing to hear all about the parallels between gothic science fiction its evolution, and its connections with the topic of aliens. It was an honor and pleasure to meet David, and I know his lectures have only begun. Staying on the alien theme, no convention dealing with these topics is complete without the inclusion of Travis Walton. Crash course on Travis Walton's experience. In 1975, Walton and six other loggers were being driven home from their logging site in Sitgreaves National Forest by their employer, Mike Rogers, when what appeared to be a saucer-shaped object was seen in the forest. Walton jumped out of the truck and ran toward the object, which reportedly zapped him with a beam of light. Rogers sped away, leaving Walton. Five days later, Walton reappeared at a local gas station, saying that he'd been held aboard a UFO by aliens. The cult classic film Fire in the Sky was based on Walton's story. Since the film, many revelations have come to Walton about what happened that night, and we talk about some of them right now. Travis, thank you for taking the time to talk to me.
11: Hi. Well, thanks for having me.
1: So, this is AlienCon, your first time at this event. What do you make of this? You've been to so many countries and states doing these events for years now. Uh, how has this event specifically stood out to you?
11: Well, you know, um, your typical UFO convention has a certain uh, traditional style. It's been around for years. I, You know, this I've been doing this for decades. This is unique. The... Sp- the specialization of this organization uh, comes from a different uh, orientation, so it's a little bit different, but uh, it's certainly working quite well. I've I've had a great time here, and a uh, uh, very enthusiastic crowd. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the deeper they get into the subject and, and learn more about it, that they'll become more adept at the peculiarities of the of the topic of the field. But uh, I think they're doing a great job.
1: I think so as well. And uh, Jason and I are going to be doing a panel today on UFOs and pop culture. And your filmed version of your experience comes up a lot when it comes to that. We spoke to a gentleman yesterday, came up to us to talk at our table. And he said, have you guys ever seen fire in the sky? And, you know, you were right across there from us. And we told him we not only have seen fire in the sky, but look over there. You know, and when you pointed to you and we're like that's the guy that it happened to. And he like just turned it white as a ghost and he couldn't believe it. So the fact that a random stranger had seen a film based on your experience, that that really shows that a lot of these topics have gone mainstream. Everyday people are talking about it now. So I have to ask you, where do you stand now on the people who have seen the film as opposed to hearing your actual
11: story? Well, you know, the, probably the most common question is, how accurate is the film compared to what mm-hmm. really happened? And so, how do you answer that question? So I come up with a kind of smart reply. About eighty-three point four percent, you know. Because <laughs> how do you quantify that? But yeah. you know what I what I try to say is, you know, uh, I start listing a few things that were changed in the film. You know, there were seven of us out there. The film had us at five. Uh, uh, when I was returned, it was not raining, and I was not naked. And and you know, most of the stuff aboard the craft was fiction. But uh, that was. Um, hidden from me I, I, when I was initially given a copy of the script that um, portion of the movie was not in it and the excuse being that it, it was a work in progress but I think they knew I wasn't going to like the, the fictionalizations but uh, I've been in discussion with a number of filmmakers about doing a remake uh, who favor the idea of, of, of making it a miniseries rather than a feature film. And, and I'm in favor of that idea myself because it gives me the opportunity to include a lot more of the associated science that comes with it without you know having too big a dose uh, or alarming people that they're being educated
3: (laughs) right
1: right. and I mean another big thing that's come out in the last couple years was the documentary based on you which I had the pleasure of going to a screening in New York City of with uh, Jennifer Stein and other members who'd worked with you on that film so how was that experience finally getting an accurate portrayal of what occurred that night to you
11: I think it's really helped people a lot. And uh, uh, the uh, the doc- documentary is uh, re- relatively new and uh, has not been aired yet, although it's been entered and won awards in dozens of, uh, of film festivals. At one, um, the daughter of the actor who played the sheriff in the movie, uh, Uh, James Garner's daughter his only offspring uh, uh, Gigi uh, made a point of attending so that she could uh, sort of apologize on behalf of her father uh, that uh, she wanted me to know that he uh, you know regretted playing the skeptic because he believed us and uh, I think that's kind of ironic because kind of a similar situation um, existed with the real-life sheriff Uh, uh, his Friends and family were saying, "Well, privately he believes you guys, but you know, publicly he's playing the you know." He identified with you know, and and really was flattered by being portrayed by a, a Western icon like James Garner. So he he postured to the public like he was much more of a skeptic. But but the film you're talking about, the Travis documentary, uh, the sheriff actually finally concedes, well. They were trying to tell the truth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good point. And, I mean, other people have also come forward. You know, the polygraph examiner that did the lie detector tests with the other gentleman. And all these people are, you know, still. What, what's always fascinated all of us in the UFO research community is none of your stories have ever really swayed. And that, to us, means, you know, not only legitimacy, but that this is real. You know, there's so many cases out there that are sensationalized and, you know, that we we take with a grain of salt, but the one case we always come back to is yours. So what do you make of that? What about all these other thousands of people who have claimed to have been taken or had an experience? What do you make of
11: that? Well, it certainly prepares me to be much more open to what, what's being claimed. I personally don't believe everything that's being claimed out there but i think um, you know probably lying is f- far less frequent than people there who are just mistaken they experienced an extremely vivid dream of some sort or mist- mist- mistaken some other sort of uh, event uh, as being what they experienced but still this is a very real phenomenon and, um, and far from being this astonishing thing, you know, that's uh, a shock and awe kind of a thing. When you get right down to it, if there was no other life, that's what would be amazing. You know, th- w- when you when you do the calculations based on the science, you know, the number of of uh, possibly life supporting planets in, in in our own galaxy. That's what would be amazing is if, you know, being millions of years older than us, they had not found some way to venture forth. Yeah. I mean, virtually everything technological we have is a few hundred years old. And so give give um, a civilization a few thousand, a hundred thousand or a few million years uh, to uh, progress. Certainly, they're zipping around out there.
1: Now, the last question I want to ask you, Travis, is I've I've heard recently you've been giving uh, lectures on sort of an update to your case, some a revelation you've made of possibly why the craft was there and why it did what it did to you. Would you mind maybe briefly going going into that with us about what they their motives may have been?
11: Well, sure. You know, we looked into what they might have been there for. Some of the other guys on the crew said, "Oh." They were they were laying for us they were you know they knew we were coming, and they were gonna you know they, you were the target and I always favored the idea that it was a random accident, and I guess partly because my biased hope that it was uh not likely to repeat, but uh we looked into uh underground water uh that might be there, magnetic lines of force, mineral deposits uh maps that that sort of thing but uh here uh, Recently, I did a, a show with Rob Lowe and his sons. Uh, it's called Lolo Files. Mm-hmm. And uh, my episode was first, and the second half was this lady that uh, deals with the properties of certain crystals. And, and she uh, sells and, and deals with these crystals at gym shows. But, the, you know, they're, they're reputed as having various properties. But the one thing that uh, Rob Lowe said... It really struck me as he said Travis said that the aliens were possibly in the area uh, mining for fulgurite and which totally astonished me because I'd never heard of fulgurite before but that uh, tied right in with the fact that that area right there has the second highest frequency of lightning strikes in the United States I discovered that uh, fulgurite is a mineral that's formed uh, it's a crystal that's formed when lightning strikes the ground You've got millions of degrees, millions of volts combined, creating substances that cannot be formed geologically. So although I didn't say that, I thought, wow, serendipity, that is a, uh, probably the most plausible uh, explanation of what they might have been doing there. And further, might have even explained the blast of energy that hit me as being something that was generated by this high propensity for lightning strikes in the area. If the craft itself was generating some kind of an electromagnetic field, it may have triggered some kind of a, a discharge of lightning that, uh, with a secondary uh, discharge that uh, struck me. And so all that tied together with the uh, effect of uh, the craft, the presence of the craft itself on uh, the uh, growth rate of the trees surrounding the clearing there.
1: And so you got hit, you know, everyone left, they eventually come back to look for you, and then we have your your story about what happened on the craft, and now... Now you think there was a reason they brought you on the craft, am I correct? Sort of something you've you've come to think about lately?
11: Yeah, so, you know, the final uh, comment there about the, the uh, discharge, the lightning blast, uh, that could have been um, fatal or nearly fatal, and very likely uh, they possessing the only technology that could rescue me at that point, nearest hospital being over an hour away. So my theory went from abduction to sort of a ambulance call and uh uh, that being why they would have found it necessary to take me aboard
1: Mm -hmm. my last question for you travis before we wrap things up uh do you think they're ever going to come back is that something you've ever really questioned or thought about or want or not want to happen
11: I think they've never left.
1: <laughs> that is a perfect way to end it. Travis, thank you so much for taking the time. A rescue operation makes so much sense when you look at this case. It's good to know that Travis Walton still is searching for answers to what happened to him, and will be listening every step of the way. No matter your thoughts on alien abduction, or even the claims by Travis Walton and his crew, there is no doubt that something happened in the forest that night. And it remains one of the most credible and documented multi-witnessed events in UFO history. Another very interesting panel that I got to listen to was that of Paul Hynek. Paul is the son of J. Allen Hynek, an astronomer who was hired by the U.S. Air Force to investigate UFOs under Project Blue Book. He went from a staunch skeptic to open-minded believer in the course of his time working on the project. And with immense pressure to debunk the cases he investigated, he rebelled against the government. And at the end of Project Blue Book, he subsequently began his own UFO investigation organization, known as the Center for UFO Studies. Recently, it was announced that the History Channel was working on a television series all about Hynek and Project Blue Book. Attendees at AlienCon were treated to a special sneak peek of the show. And I was lucky enough to attend the Q&A with Paul Hynek. Here's a small soundbite of Paul talking about the Condon Committee, in which his father was a member, but was brushed aside in his determinations of certain UFO investigations.
9: The Condon Report further concluded that UFO study cannot be justified. But what your dad did was he took quotes from the own Condon Report to wreck its credibility. He cited passages from the report like... The probability that at least one genuine UFO was involved appears fairly high. He quoted it again, saying, This is the most puzzling radar case on record. He quoted it, saying, A great mass of these reports are a challenge to this analyst. And lastly, he said, um, The report says, This unusual sighting should therefore be assigned to the category of some almost certainly natural phenomenon. One that is so rare that it apparently has never been, happened before or since to explain a UFO sighting. That's what they
7: report. So, um, talk a little bit about the Condon Committee and why your dad felt Project
0: Blue Book was shut down.
10: Yeah, I think there's probably no worse practice in science than having a report whose conclusion doesn't jive with its own internal data. I mean, that's just that's just Keystone Cops. Um, so the Condon Committee, I don't think it really shut down the Book. They were going to shut it down, and they just needed something. So they concocted this, shambler, this shambles of, of, a, of a study to do that. Um, There's correspondence between the secretary of Condon and my father, where she's decrying the whole process and saying, you know, this is a kangaroo court, this is, they're not looking to be honest." This is just a PR stunt to shut it down. And it was, you know, sort of an echo of the earlier Robertson panel, just a government effort to trump something out in the public to say, hey, because of this, we're going to shut it down. So it was just a, a, a not unexpected, but sort of galling in the magnitude of its uh, ridiculousness.
1: This was a very rare treat, and I'm so happy I got to hear Paul talk all about his father in an honest light. And it was even more special to hear him talk about being a kid and his father coming home and over dinner talking about some of the cases he was investigating. It was a glimpse into the life and career of a man we highly respect in the UFO field. And in January, we'll go mainstream on the History Channel. Be sure to check out the show and stay tuned for an exclusive interview with creative team members of Project Blue Book coming soon. The final interview here is with my publisher and UFO historian Richard Dolan. Stepping out of his usual lecture topics, Dolan decided to cover something very different. We are moving into a strange new world of enhanced humans or even post-humans. In other words, a transhuman world. Science is now on the verge of redefining the human species, which could happen within our lifetimes. Some people think it's good. Dolan thinks different. Hey, Ryan, I'm glad to be here with you. Cool, man. So I just came from a panel that you were a part of with Steve Bassett, Jason McClellan, Alejandro Rojas. Mm -hmm. That was post-disclosure. Can you tell us a little about
6: how that went? Uh, I thought it was actually really fun. It was interesting. Um, Steve Bassett ran it. He sort of moderated and sort of directed it. And it was primarily people from the audience asking questions. So it was interesting. Uh, we didn't really get into the, the idea of a post-disclosure world because it was essentially answering questions from the audience. But most, most of the questions were pretty on point and uh, interesting in their own way. So I had fun. Uh, it was a really interesting uh, structure he did where the, the audience asked all the questions. Right. And
1: those were some of the most concise questions I've heard on the topic of disclosure at any
6: like UFO conference I've been to. So yeah. I thought it was great. Some very highly discerning questions. One of the last ones I thought st- stood out with me, which was the gentleman who said, Look, how do we really know what the intentions of these other beings are, even if, we, if we're told they're good? Or if, wh- how, how does the government know if, if, what their intentions are and how do we how do we ever get to a point where we can understand one way or the other? And, you know, I think there was a lot of very thoughtful people on this uh, whole issue and some of the issues about um, what one was on Antarctica. And I, I haven't... It's interesting. I didn't actually address that one directly, but Antarctica is one of those things that I did not give a lot of time and thought to over the years, but recently have come to think maybe there's something to some of these uh, leaks about Antarctica. And so there's... Just a lot of interesting questions that came up and I enjoyed being on. In fact, I should remember them all because I... I did the majority of the talking.
1: Well, you know what I thought was really cool, too, was that um, it kind of led into a lot of the topics you're going to be talking about at your actual presentation as well in terms of AI and all that. Could you tell us maybe a little about uh, what you're going to be talking about with that?
6: Absolutely. Well, you just made me realize one of the questions was, you know, if if we're thinking of UFO disclosure, it's not like that occurs in a vacuum. There are other important things going on in this world in relating to the global environment, in relation to... Uh, technology changes in relation to our transformation of the global political and economic and financial situation. All of these things are happening very, very powerfully right now. And, and any kind of disclosure on the UFO reality occurs within that context. Uh, and that does lead me to the talk that I'm going to be giving in about 20 minutes. On uh, It's not related to the UFO issue directly. It's on artificial intelligence and transhumanism, which has been one of the uh, issues that I've gotten into I've been interested in for a while, but particularly this year. And I simply want to talk about how there's a definite utopian element to a lot of the transhumanist ideology. Uh, these individuals who, you know, they're looking at not just artificial intelligence, but genetic modifications, gene therapy, uh, and talking like, you're going to be able to live forever. Or you'll be able to live, at least not if not forever, then for many hundreds of years without getting sick or Um, or in in very excellent health and so forth. That's all very seductive and very nice, but transhumanism doesn't stop there. It's really about the creation of a a superhuman species in the future. And transhumanists absolutely believe this. I mean, many of them strongly believe this. And The the utopianism is something that I'm familiar with in the UFO community because there's a very strong utopian element there. You know, if we only have disclosure, then we'll solve all the world's problems. Or if the galactic brotherhood or federation uh, were to bring us into the next uh, spiritual awakening, then our society will be better. You know, these are, let's fix all of humanity's problems type uh, ideologies. And and in transhumanism, there's a similar utopian strain going on here. It's as if, if we only were to make ourselves smarter and stronger and live longer, we'll you know, we'll all be happy and we'll solve all of our, our problems and the computers will fix all the problems that we're not able to solve. And something tells me that there's this little thing I think about called the law of unintended consequences. You know, I think of Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park and he said, uh, what was it, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And uh, one of the great lines in any movie... And I, I believe that that's what we're looking at with this transhumanism. I think that we're transforming ourselves so radically that there's going to be some very disruptive and probably dangerous unintended consequences. And I, I can't pretend that I know them all, but I think I'm, I'm very much not one of the immortalists. I, I don't believe that, that people should live forever. I think that uh, we uh, really have genuine change in our world because we have new generations that come, come along and, and think differently. Uh, i 'm not a believer that most people really think differently once they hit a, a certain age yeah i think mean, it 's very rare, yeah. but it 's new generations coming on board that that do think differently and that 's uh, a really fascinating topic,
1: like unlike anything i 've heard you talk about before well,
6: oh yeah th- well, and also just the the thing is that we are transforming ourselves even even without trying to go pedal to the metal with uh, gene therapy or cognitive implants or whatever else. Um, we have been transforming ourselves for the past ten thousand years, simply due to sedentary agriculture, and we're not the same uh, version of the species that even our forebears were ten thousand years ago. But even now, our our current state of civilization is is ramping things up to a much greater degree. So we're we're changing, and um, it's a kind of not self-directed evolution, but it is an evolutionary process that is driven by our civilization and what we're doing with transhumanism is simply taking that and and really going uh, with great focus and direction one thing that I think w- we can definitely say that is going to be a problem is the total loss of privacy I think in in the near future what we're dealing with is the the end I mean we think privacy is done now but compared even with 10 20 years from now we'll we'll look back on this time as an era of great relative privacy because um, in an era of coming 5G technology internet of things where everything can talk to each other and where all data is being siphoned out of your refrigerator your stove your toaster your, your car and everything else there is no place where you'll ever be able to go where you will have any semblance of privacy and where the data about your entire life will be siphoned and used for the benefit of organizations that know how to make use of it they'll be able to put together a better personality profile of you than than you can, and much, much more. So there's the, the privacy is, is going to be so completely gone. And what that will do to our society, what that will do to our personalities is a good question to ask, because in an era of no privacy, uh, it seems to me that we're in danger of developing a, almost a hive mentality to a far greater degree than we've ever imagined. Uh, because if there's no privacy, people are going to be less and less inclined to speak up speak up their own mind and I think we're moving toward a culture of a very great conformity mm-hmm.
1: which is terrifying and but extremely fascinating and we can only sort of approach it with knowledge of it right
6: yeah and, and but a lot of people I think will be perfectly cool with it because they'll be able to live in their total immersive virtual reality environments where they can be celebrity millionaires and have that whole thing happening so even in a world where there's there's nothing genuinely nothing deep to offer a lot of people, I mean how, what are you going to do if you live for 500 years? you Are going to go to the same job? Punch the clock at some office? I, I wouldn't think so, I don't know what people will do but one thing is you can just see this happening where there would be a, a kind of a increasingly greater and greater development on crazed virtual reality environments to stimulate people and to keep them happy. And I can only, I can't even begin to imagine how crazy that could be. Me either Well I
1: look forward to going to the talk I know you gotta get going in there pretty soon So thank you so much for taking the time to do this Rich Where can we find everything you're doing you're, I mean you are talking about All different things here at AlienCon On your website and everything So where can we find that
6: Yeah I love all the things I talk about They're, They all engage me um, Probably my main site Um I have a YouTube channel which is Richard Dolan it, It's a lot of the information I have goes out there But basically, the member site is probably what it's about. I do have a newsletter. I would say, look, go, go to Richard Olin members, subscribe to the newsletter, and it tells people what I'm up to every single week. Great. Thank you so much, Rich.
1: Thanks, Ryan. The prospect of all of this is both exciting, interesting, and downright terrifying. If trends support these observations, then we really have to be careful moving forward. Either way, it was great hearing from Rich, as always, even if it's on a topic as controversial as this. But he's pretty well known for that anyways. Well, that just about does it for this epic con episode of Somewhere in the Skies. This event is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And as it grows, I only see a brighter platform for serious UFO researchers to share their work with one another and with the public. The UFO topic is going mainstream like never before, and the number of people attending these events is only growing. I hope you enjoyed these exclusive interviews, and I hope you'll check out the work being done by all of these individuals. And I have no doubt you're going to be hearing at them at the upcoming AlienCon, which invades Los Angeles June 21st, 22nd, and 23rd in 2019. To keep up to date when tickets are available and to see their growing guest list, be sure to visit TheAlienCon.com. Be sure also to follow Somewhere in the Skies on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, and Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod. Visit the official store at TeePublic.com, that's T-E-E-Public.com, and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store. For past episodes, articles, news, and to contact me personally, visit the official website, com. Thank you so much to all of the individuals I interviewed, to the entire staff at Mischief Management and AlienCon, to Pursuing X, the E1 Podcast Network, and most importantly, thank you to you, the listeners. I'll see you here next week, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching. Somewhere in the Skies. And I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's
5: aliens.
2: Somewhere in the Skies is produced
1: by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To
6: learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com.